Hey guys, Trevor here with Ride a Leaf. Today we've got Brishna, who is the president with Earth Wolf Farms. These guys do solventless extraction and produce really great live rosin-based products. I've had the opportunity to review the Black and Fuel OG-based rosin, and I really enjoy how heavy the effects are. I'm a big fan of anything flower-based. Rosin's the next best thing when it comes to a concentrate. I'm really excited to be learning about how they process the live aspect of the rosin as well as the rosin that uh, as well as the rosin itself with the amount of a uh, little bit of hiccups we've had today to get this thing started the intro should have one too welcome Brishna for onto the podcast and uh, let's get this thing rocking thank you um and yes we've had some technical difficulties <laughs> it's it happens a lot actually You'll be surprised in almost every job I've had, it's always been technical difficulties at the beginning of something new and great. Um, so here I am. Uh, my name is Brishna. I am doing this from my car. Actually, it's a place I spend a lot of time in, try driving between Lillard and Vancouver. So it's very fitting. I'm very comfortable usually also in my car because sometimes it requires me to sleep and especially visiting stores, which I'll be doing again coming up uh, starting Wednesday. I'm headed to Victoria. Um, dropping in some stores and making my way north from there on the highway and uh, camping along the way. Um, so Earthwell Farms is actually in Lillooet. Um, and just I gave you a little background in my life as well just now. Uh, I'm very, uh, I guess, outdoorsy, as people say. Um, so I like to hike and ski and climb. And Lillooet was one of those adventure station sort of stops for us. Uh, living in Whistler and working here in an indoor facility for about five years. Uh, it used to be called Whistler Medical Marijuana and it got bought out by Aurora. So about five of us actually right now, current members used to work there. Um, so we all got a lot of our legal experience in um, growing as well extraction, working within that facility for a long time. Uh, we all held various different roles. Right now, our master grower, Josh, was also a master grower there. I was the head of research as well as our qualified person in charge. I did a quality assurance and I was extraction manager. So really when it got bought out, we all left and we incorporated a company called Whistler Therapeutics. Now Whistler Therapeutics um, was always intending to go uh, grow outdoors. And we always had a research and medical aspect to it. And we still do. I'm a researcher by training. So I have a master's in neuroscience, my partner, Daniel. Um, he's also got a master's in biochemistry and a lot of our other team members are also scientists and engineers. So, and a lot of them are actually just growers, um, and they're farmers and they have their talents and they bring in something we don't have in terms of organization and paperwork. Um, so we work in a very collaborative manner, just like you do in academia. So it's a little bit different than the corporate world, I would say, um, when things come up we all kind of discuss it. So it's a very different environment than most other companies. Um, we like to keep that culture. Um, it's a very family-like culture. So right now the farm's having a baby. Uh, our master grower is having a baby. So now we're all, we're all having a baby. So everyone's getting excited for a baby at the farm. Um, it's very family-like and uh, we grow outdoors. So everything's done by hand. Um, we have a little tractor. Uh, we prepare the soil ourselves. Uh, Josh actually mixes all of them together. Um, and then Christy helps out. We do a lot of paperwork for Help Canada. That's the biggest difference between growing um, yourself and growing commercially is the amount of paperwork you do. I spend about four and a half days a month reporting 
inventory and security issues, as well as administrative changes, business changes to Health Canada. It's quite a lot. Um, and then yearly, we report on revenue so they can decide on our fees. Uh, we also do every reporting we do for Health Canada for the CRA. So it's the two sets of reporting. So the CRAs audits you about six to 10 times in your first two years of operation. And mainly it's focused for us. It's been a lot in seeds because we produce seeds as well for ourselves. Um, and when you're producing seeds, you're at literally adding to the CRA's bank of taxes because it's a dollar in excise tax when you sell that seed. So it's very valuable. So right now we have 3 million seeds in our inventory. It's $3 million when we sell it in the CRA's pocket. It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous. Oh. And our margins, if we sell it right now in today's market, are even lower. But anyway, so Earthfall Farms, we grow, we have, we breed new genetics um, and we select some genetics from others, from other farmers in the North Okanagan. Actually, the Venom OG, we did partner up with in a farm in Northern Okanagan. Um, and we got that genetic from them. We purchased feminized seeds from them, uh, license to license, and we grew it and it tested out pretty good in terms of our yield. It wasn't our best yielder the first year, but it's starting to become our best yielder in terms of ice water extraction. Um, so that's really been um, the most gassy strain I would say we have. Um, and it's also been one of the best sellers in the market. Um, to date. It was uh, one of our first initial strains and actually it was coincidence that it got released at the same time as the movie Venom. Um, so it, it was really good marketing for us. It happened on its own. Yeah. Uh, so the farm uh, is organic certified. Uh, it's been organic certified for seven years. Four of those years I've done paperwork myself. So I take care of organic certification as a president, uh, licensing, maintaining the license, uh, license amendments, personnel security um, systems. So I establish a system at the cultivation site, at the processing site. I oversee about four staff right now at the cultivation site and about four staff at the processing site. Uh, we don't have our processing close to our farm right now, but we're migrating. So currently we produce everything in Lillooet. We harvest when then we put them in negative 30 refrigeration containers, also known locally as reefers. And then we transport them down along Highway 1 or the 99 if there are no floods or fires or snowstorm or avalanches. Um, so we, we play with Mother Nature quite a bit and uh, we, we're very thankful for her. Um, so we, uh, yeah, transported down to our uh, partner's facility, which is in Port Coquitlam. Um, they're called Apothecary Botanicals. So we have our staff working in a room. We have basically rented for them. We have a partnership uh, where we go there, we produce it, and then we release it under their license for a certain percentage of our revenue, top line revenue, because we don't have our own processing license. Our plan was to get our own processing license, but what happened on May 2nd, I think it was 2019, the regulatory framework changed. We then initially had to build sites now um, prior to even applying for a processing license, whereas before people were just doing paper applications, getting in the queue, getting their licenses, then going and raising money. Now you had to have had your money, you had to build out your site and do everything. And that's when COVID hit. So when COVID hit, we weren't able to raise money for our processing license. So we had to partner up with someone else and pivot that way and get our products out in the market. And um, when we did get our actually cultivation license, um, it was July 24th of 2021. And um, Health Canada made a sign a day before that we couldn't release under our license holding company, Whistler Therapeutics. 
And it had to, uh, when we did release products, it had to be under a different name. So we pivoted right away to the name that was given to the farm itself, uh, Earthwalk. Um, it was uh, given by a lady who pre-owned the property um, and her partner who grew hops there. And we actually got trained under her for about seven months to grow hops. So we grew hops our first year because everyone doubted scientists going out in the back country and growing. Um, so we grew hops the same uh, and we processed it the same way we would with uh, fresh cannabis flowers, which is what we do now. And we took it to organic certification till the hop extract. So we actually also have an inventory, a lot of hop extract right now. Oh, cool. <laughs> so it works the same way. It has trichomes as well, hops, and it's actually the same uh, family as well, the closest relative to cannabis plant. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting plant. We, we have probably around 40,000 40, rhizomes right now on the field. So it's a lot of rhizomes. Um, and they are also female plants like cannabis. Um, so they're perennial, they're female. You take a little root, you clone it just like you do with cannabis and you stick it in somewhere else and it'll shoot up. Um, and hops have the ability to grow three foot a day in the heat of July where we are. It's a lot of growth. Um, so a fun project that my partner really wants to do is grafting it, but I don't think he's found the time yet in three years. So I think it's going to continue on as a project he'll talk about for a while, but we'll get there. Um, that is the reason why we have kept the rhizomes is for research purposes. Uh, we do a lot of crazy experiments at the farm. We have 14 different zones. The entire cultivation is around 20 acres, but we grow um, this year, we're, we'll be growing quite a lot more than we have the past two years. Last year, we only grew about five acres. This year, we're growing about maybe 14 to 15 we're aiming. Um, so it's a bit larger. Um, but again, we do have limitations in terms of how much care we can give to each plant. Um, so we got to be careful. We don't also want to have a large group of people growing for us because it's harder to control all the points of, for quality purposes. So we like to keep a really tight team and uh, to bring in a new team member, it's quite a long process as well. Uh, just everyone's got their quirky personalities and everyone's very respectful and polite, but um, it, the level of requirement for entry now in the industry has gone up so much more just because it's been active for so long. Um, no one's gonna really explain the super basics to you any longer. So you have to take that initiative if you're trying to get into the industry and learn it before you show up to like a job interview yeah absolutely. so <laughs> yeah it's, it's gone up the level of knowledge and i'm excited for that and i'm hoping research also goes up um so yeah genetic selection we again it's very important so it also um gets influenced by the yields we get every year so let's say last year we got a really good yield from god's space needle this year we're growing quite a lot of god's space needle um so we go anything about five percent and above in terms of ice water extraction yield and those are the genetics we will continue working with just because we're growing specifically for ice water extraction so after they go into poco from into the from the reefers um into the facility in poco they are then put into other freezers um to stay fresh till they're processed so they are really kept frozen till the point they're added to the agitation tank with ice and water um, and that allows the retention of the terpenes and the flavonoids. Um, a lot of the freshness, a lot of the gooeyness, the texture of live rosin that people enjoy um, come from that, those molecules. You can't get it from producing um, rosin from flour and pressing it. 
It's just not possible. Um, you could try adding Terps back in, but then it's just going to be a little bit messy. Um, and it's not really the way we do things. So again, black fuel OG, which, which you mentioned, um, is actually a mixture of the black and fuel OG. Um, it's a funny story around how that lot became uh, created. Um, Gabriel called me, Gabriel's our processing manager. He, he called me one day saying, I thought I was mixing the black with the black, but then I was like, no, this can't be the black and the black. And I was really, anyways, he ended up mixing the two. So we homogenized and called it the black fuel OG. So, and they were close in cultivar. So some lots we do homogenize uh, if they're really close in terpene profiles to make a lot larger, just because there is so much um, testing associated and time lags between the lots. Um, so we do have minimum lot sizes we produce. They're not large. It's, I think it's a, around two kilos, which is 2000 units of one gram. Um, so they're not very large lots for other large manufacturers that have 40,000 footprint of processing, but they're quite large for us. Um, so we produce them in around two kilo lots and then we package them um, in cool grooms and glass jars, and then they go into mylar bags. So that's really from seed all the way to package it happens by one team and i have oversight from that starting seed popping seed and updating inventory sheets all the way to po's are going out accountant gets the po that's there's a lot of process just to get that through there holy math um we because we've used the three connection zoom is giving me a time limit there we go we should be out of the technical difficulty woods now hopefully <laughs> hopefully i've got power lines behind me so i'm just behind the building in my um yeah the office it's a uh, there's some ramps i don't know if you can see people make ramps oh nice yeah when there's lots of snow they play in the back at lunchtime but there's no snow right now so you guys have the farm that you run both the hops and the flower that you utilize to make the live rosin out of is there anything else that you're experimenting out there with um we do a lot of companion planting um and we also plant a lot of deterrents so using the organic principles we try to um really not we don't have anything we apply to our plants um, other than an organic soap solution, um, which we make under the organic principles ourselves. Um, but really in terms of pesticides, we don't have any issues. Our farm's got a lot of beneficial bugs because we grow a lot of beneficial plants. Um, so it brings in a lot of birds, which eat a lot of mice. And we are even allowed to have a cat, believe it or not, roam the field with the flowers. I'm hoping to make a video of that this year um, as uh, the cat's going to be the... IPM manager, the pest manager. Um, so we're hoping they eat some of the voles. We do have some voles that come up about every year. They, they're around. Um, we do have some big birds that come up and eat them, but um, the cat is a big help. Um, it really is the pest manager of the cat. Um, it's got a big title and we keep the cat very happy. Uh, we are not allowed to have other animals roam at all. Um, not dogs either. We keep our dogs outside our operations area. So there's different areas of the farm. Um, and actually about four minutes 
uh, for drive from the farm is a lab we're now licensing for our own processing to 10,600 square foot. It was a purpose-built laboratory. So we're really hoping to bring in um, all our processing in our own facility to just hone in that consistency and quality of the products. Um, it's just much easier to operate in your own facility than in your someone else's. Um, a lot of people in the gray market or whatever market you like to call it, um, have worked in other people's facilities and paid rent. And what up, ends up happening, there's an, a lot of animosity that develops if your product does better than the pure landlord's product. Things happen. Um, and just, just if the your partner's yeah, uh, companies got bought out by someone else, it just brings in a lot of management issues. Um, we don't want to continuously grow and then have uh, restrictions in terms of also our capacity. Uh, when you're working in someone else's facility, you're really limited at how much electricity you have. Uh, you really can do a lot of improvements. Um, you just have very limited space to work and operate. Um, so those restrictions are all lifted and that hopefully will translate into a lower price point for the products itself. Um, because when we scale up, it reduces the labor, which is the biggest cost that goes into it, um, is labor. Uh, because we do everything so... Um, don't like to call it archaic, but by hand, because um, it hasn't been mechanized. A lot of the things, harvesting hasn't been mechanized. Trim machines are out there, but they don't always work the best. You gotta find the right one that works with your operation and modify it. Um, there's a lot to it, um, but when it comes to processing for us, it's very simple. We just uh, put the frozen flour in the ice water tank, run it for a certain amount of time, then take the trichromes that separate from the separator into different bags and then store that um, actually into trays initially and put them in the freezer just for a flash freeze. And then we put them in the lyophilizer. So they're the freeze dryers. And the freeze dryers are, they have their own settings and we have to actually spend a lot of time figuring out the settings for the freeze dryers too. Um, there's a lot of art to freeze drying that I didn't realize before that I had to learn. Um, so after you freeze dry it, then you take it and you store it in metal containers so the bubble hash is ready to be pressed. And uh, once it gets pressed, it's stored in parchment sheets, so large parchment sheets like cookie dough uh, or large bricks um, or just like literally a dough of frozen um, in a glass jar. We try to store everything in glass. Um, just it's much better than plastic. You don't want anything to leach into your material and especially with a lot of the strains and cultivars if they're new and hot. They haven't been uh, worked on by our team. We try to keep everything as this and limit the environmental effects on it as well. Um, so rosin then gets stored, um, gets cured. Um, then it gets pre-portioned. After it gets pre-portioned, it gets pre-packaged. And then it gets final packaged. Um, the final packaging is really putting in that pouch and putting the excise stamp on it. Um, then it becomes ready to be sent out. Um, so there's... Uh, the part of creating a product and there's the part of opening up the sales channels in the legal market to get your product out there. So that sales distribution channel is quite complicated. Um, there's multiple sets of deadlines you have to play with. BC has its own deadlines. Actually, BC is quite open. Um, and Alberta has got pretty stringent deadlines. Ontario has got stringent deadlines. Um, you have to apply for with your product, everything you know about your product that actually have created your product on hand because they require images of it and you pitch it. So then you pitch that product, it gets approved, then you wait for like two months or three months just to get the paperwork into them. 
then they require more info. So you submit info for about like six months till your product makes it into the OCS or BCLDB. It's quite a long process. Yeah, I've just, I would say probably within the last two months, really started to understand how long it takes for new producers to bring new product out to market, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Like it is yeah. just within Alberta is crazy. And it seems like there has been some preference played to Alberta products getting preference with from the Alberta, like AGLC, which I can understand the mentality behind it. But when there's craft, craft should almost get a priority over everything, in my opinion, just because they're smaller, they're it's, it's yeah. better quality going to the consumer. Yeah, I think there's can't really blame the boards either that do these selections because a lot of them don't know much about cannabis. Um, some of them have been trained in the same department for a while and they've grown through the ladder. So they've gained a lot of experience and some of them know a lot and are quite young. They're really fun to work with as well. Um, so it's a very diverse group of people that all the boards have hired. Some of them are quite knowledgeable and they're making really great selections while others aren't sure um, of the product categories or how many to bring or what the growth of it could be. Um, or how they could market it itself, like literally be Alberta cannabis store, which no longer exists. Um, there was a lot to it. They had multiple departments and multiple teams working on something. Most provinces do, but it's just uh, the margins they're taking is quite a lot <laughs> when it comes to uh, when you look at the formula for production, how much your producer is making, how much the seller itself the retailer is making and then how much when the board sells it because they're buying at a cheaper point and then they're selling it at almost the same price as private stores you're like you're really cutting into your private stores business model there's a lot of confusion there <laughs> yeah it's and now with uh like you like the uh what you pointed out the alberta online now with that gone and alberta able to have the dispensaries um, sell direct online that's a huge benefit in almost removing that level of confusion the agent yeah. the aglc had that as a part of an amendment when online sales were allowed they close alberta cannabis that was one of the hap one of the best things that i could read with that being implemented yeah no i agree with you there i'm glad they got out of the business it was it, bc needs to do the same yeah. um it's very strange what's happening uh, because some of the products excuse, they just take into their own stores and they don't even take it into other stores. Um, so there needs to be a lot of restructuring, I feel like, in the whole process um, for distribution provincially throughout the nation. It's, it's Nova Scotia never replied to me. <laughs> I have to say that. I emailed them like five times. Nova Scotia never replies. <laughs> you can call them and you'll be on hold and you'll get an email and just someone reply for a long time. Um, yeah. So there's some markets that are really hard to tap into and you got to be very persistent. And some markets that you just got to go through multiple layers. Like if you're going to Quebec, you got to go through uh, AMP. Um, which is their authority for uh, basically business in Quebec. Um, and for us to get into Alberta, we had to go through an extra provincial registration, which I had to do, as well as a brand registration, as well as security clearances for myself and Daniel. Yeah. 
The security so clearances sound like an Alberta standard. I don't know what it is with security clearances, but everybody needs to be cleared. Yes, yes. And we had to report on the age of every shareholder, which is quite funny for me to call some of my own family members because a lot of our shareholders are family and friends. Be like, what's your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> they just want to make sure you're of legal age. Yeah, um, so that was a fun process. Um, yeah, it took six months to get our brand registered in Alberta for both extra provincial registration for tax purposes and then also have a cannabis brand registration. Then after that six months, you pitched a protocol. So you're not sure if you're going to get in or not. And they don't really give you any feedback which is what's happened with our current protocol. So now I'm preparing for the next protocol. And I'm like, well, what was wrong with the other protocol? I submitted the same thing to Ontario and they took it. So I'm like, okay, what do I do now? Um, so it's, it's just a game of spreadsheets. Some days I am doing 10 spreadsheets and I'm so frustrated with Excel. It's, it's the industry spreadsheet. Yeah, it, it seems to be like almost death by number seems to be the focus of it for anybody in that kind of administrative or supportive roles on the that higher end or even just store managers right like the amount of numbers that get pushed around is insane yeah there's a lot of numbers for sure the spreadsheets have a lot of columns to fill well and it just well it seems yeah, like each so province has its own identifiable identifying number to each product yes, and then yes, the product yeah. itself has a health canada based skew does it not yes that's correct so, so federally the production is done by health canada and then there's a level of redundancy for a lot of the requirements on the provincial side like and that and that's the kind of where you're just it's the same information but it's a different number for a different person yeah, so that's the provincial and federal. Now, the federal is even funnier because even at the federal government, the departments within the federal government don't communicate with each other. So I do sets of reporting from the cultivation site monthly to both Health Canada and the CRA. Our processing partners, QA, does it, um, both CRA and Health Canada on the extract side. So right now there's two people and just getting one product out twice a month doing reporting on one SKU. It's a lot of reporting. It's a lot more than what it is currently in place for alcohol. Is, is that reporting going to follow suit when you guys end up with your own yes, uh, processing? Yeah, so your processing will have to do its own reporting and the farm will have to do. Yes. Yes. Each, uh, each, so the way the licensing currently works is it's based on activity. So you can get a oh. license to cultivate and then there's limitations on the size. And then there's class of subclassification of micro and standard standard allows you to grow whatever the hell you want in terms of space and amount. And then micro has got limitation in terms of area. Also in terms of how much you can store, depending on your area you are licensed. Um, so there's cultivation and there's processing, microprocessing and standard processing. So there's some changes coming uh, whereby packaging dry flowers no longer considered processing. And this wasn't before either, and but before legalization, but it became as part of processing with legalization. Now it's going back under, if you have a standard cultivation license, you can package, dry your flowers, package it and sell. So, but the processing now means anything you do with extraction, or creating concentrates of any sort, um, or changing it into whatever product you want, gummies, 
topicals, that's all going to be processing. And then there's a class for research, there's a class for nursery, then there's subclasses to research as well. And there's nursery also, you can get subclasses, micro or standard nurseries, and then you can even do organic, which is another subclass. Um, really, there's a lot. And then if you want to do import and export, you apply for an import license or an export license. Um, yeah, I can go on on licensing. I used to do consulting, so I'm glad I'm no longer doing licensing. Well, and, and <laughs> honestly, you, you really covered a lot of the information that I've gotten pieces of in other podcasts and just conversations I've had. And you kind of laid out how it works, which is a huge benefit for people like me or any of the other bud tenders, because when we're trying to explain to customers that, yeah, it is a plant, you cut it, it, why isn't it fresh? Well, there's reasons why. And just like you listed off the whole list of restrictions in how many, how much you can grow for the micros and all that, that plays into a factor. The actual yeah. maintaining of all the SKUs, all of the numerical side of that, that tracking plays into a factor because all of that has to be in order before you can move on to the next step. Right. And it, yeah. it, everything feeds into the process. And that's why when I look at a jar and I see, Oh, it was packaged three months ago. I'm ecstatic because that's some of the freshest bud we're seeing in Alberta. And yeah. there's people who yes. come in and looking at that and they're going, what do you mean? Three months old. That's like, it's like, no, that's really fresh. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, packaging on time, setting up packaging solution in-house is very important because when you outsource it, like we're outsourcing right now, we're losing about two weeks, two, four weeks of time. Um, so it's a lot of time you lose when you outsource uh, things in our industry. And also because when you're in cannabis, for some reason, everyone thinks you're loaded. Um, so they just charge you the cannabis tax on top. So you got to be really careful. Um, and there's a lot of other industries that did benefit a lot from legalization and all the indoor facilities because they were able to sell HVACs and whatnot. And now when you're an outdoor grower, you're explaining the margins to them and go like, oh, you guys don't make any money. You're like, well, it's, it's a crop. You have to go all the way to the end of the product to sell it, to make your margin. And even then, when you get to that point, sometimes you're paying the CRA more excise than on your, uh, on, compared to your margin. So it's quite laughable. Um, the excise on Venemoji, I think is 870 or around $8. So we pay, we sell it wholesale for, I think, 15 to $17. Um, and then we pay excise, so it literally doesn't leave much. Um, the margins are very small right now, and our farm is uh, at almost the break-even point, um, but we're hoping to go past that point so we can bring in some more uh, genetics, to be honest, and more staff members to grow some other, um, start some new projects, and also just do our own processing in-house. Um, but we're getting there. It's really hard as a grower and a processor to, if you're doing things in-house in the right way, it costs a lot. And if you're a family owned business, like we are, um, sometimes it's hard to have dinner with your family members because if you've borrowed money to make your business work, it's awkward. Um, that's one thing I've learned now is uh, in the future, um, if my friends ask me for investment, I would definitely invest in them. I'm like, don't go to your dad. Cause I know how awkward that can be afterwards. Um, 
So yeah, our company has been funded mainly by family and friends. So we had a bonus um, that we got two of us when we were working at Whistler Medical that we put in. And after that, we raised around 1.6 million for our farm. So our farm was um, that, that many we had raised. And now we want to get our lab going and we are currently leasing it for around $10,000 a month. Um, so we really need to bring our processing in-house to help our margins and also reduce the cost of some of our SKUs because like I said, the smaller SKUs, the costs are higher because it, it's the same amount of labor that goes into them. Um, so really trying to scale up so that we can reduce the cost because I'm a patient. Most of the staff members are all, we're all patients um, and we use live bras and products ourselves. So we're users as well, uh, creators of the product. Um, and sometimes it's hard depending where you are and your socioeconomic status if it's a medicine for you um, to go and pay $60 to $80 for a gram of live rosin yeah. so that's really the ethos I guess behind our companies trying to bring fair market pricing and trying to scale it up and grow it outdoors um, and then also treat your employees well because good employees stick around and if you've got the same common values with your employees things just work really magically well and we've been really lucky at the farm as well as the processing. The entire team gets along well, and we have a lot of fun together creating new products. Um, so it's very important to bring in the passion because even if, if you don't have the curiosity and the passion about something, a topic, is your work days become really boring and you're not motivated. You're not going to ask the hard questions. You're not going to learn and grow as a person. Um, so we really look for candidates who are looking into their own growth as well as, um, yeah, just growth in the industry and try to better the industry because there's so many misconceptions around um, just the stereotypes around people who dab or who use concentrates or who smoke. It's uh, rampant still in society, even despite legalization. There's a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, so that stigma itself, it's, we need to address it, I think. And to do it that way, I think, to do it the right way, we need to research and we can't research and standardize products and then take it to market and then hopefully one day be able to better that product and go through the traditional means of taking a drug out of the market. Um, that's really our goal ultimately. Um, so we are again right now releasing products in both medical and rec markets um, and in order to make our ends meet in our operations. Our goals in the long term are always and has been, um, I think, is going to be to, to towards research and getting standardized quality products that you can then claim as a medicine, have your insurance cover it, have a drug identification number. So you don't, um, just, yeah, it's just, it removes, when you have reliability and consistency of a product, it encourages also the health practitioners to continuously prescribe that product um, because they can rely on it. Patients can rely on it. They can get the same relief. But if you don't have that, you really don't have anything. I don't really care if your marketing is top notch and you're spending $25,000 on a video, but I don't really care. Um, because when it comes down to it, it has to be the quality of your product for the price you're selling. If you're selling at a great price and the quality is not there, it's not going to stick around for longer than six months um, because it's not going to get picked up. Um, and another thing is to be transparent with users as well. Um, this industry is really new. A lot of companies <laughs> market a lot of things um, or a lot of health claims without really knowing much about the topic. Um, so it's very important to give reliable information to people as well. Um, so again, being researcher, I think that's, we always go back. If we don't know something, go back, start 
your Google Scholar and read for a few nights before you start talking about a topic because when you don't have the background, you can't really see the full image of something and be able to troubleshoot throughout the process. And everything in the legal industry is process oriented. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sorry, I went off a ramble. Oh, like it's honestly, it, it this has been great because it's a lot of just information that's kind of filling the picture of the little bits of information that I've been able to get, right? And it's very well explained and articulated that people who don't have those little bits that I have will be able to see the full picture because I'm I'm very much the same way. When I look at stuff and when I go through my reviews, I always approach it with, uh, okay, first and foremost, let's get how I experience it out of the way. And then we're going to take a step back and go, how can it be experienced? And then let's take one further step back. And from that, how could it be experienced? If I took the extra time and put this opportunity or this situation, or I changed the way that I was consuming, or I just make some minor adjustments, or the product itself has something slightly altered in it, and make those adjustments and points to look at it. There's very few products or things within this industry that I really don't want to be involved in at all because I can see the benefits and the aspect of it. And you need to look at the industry as a whole because it seems like, especially with how new it is, there's a lot of factors that feed into one another that people aren't necessarily seeing or um, understanding just because the lack of information that's there. And because there's been that kind of stigma and issue with getting the research done. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Our government continuously puts money into uh, campaigns um, and studies related to youth prevention of use of cannabis, but if they should be spending this equal amount of money on alcohol. I find alcohol more debilitating than cannabis. Um, it destroys more, more lives than cannabis has, and it is, it's also got a deadly limit for consumption, which cannabis still it doesn't have one set. Um, so it's just, I don't know, it's Having come from academia, research, and like, yeah, it's, it's into this industry was a lot of why are you doing this to government officials and them not having the answers for you? Um, or if they have the answers for you, it's just skewed. It's not accurate um, as it would be in the real scientific world. Like room temperature, they wanted to define room temperature themselves. I'm like, there's two standards set up in the world of chemistry. You can't just go set up your own room temperature. <laughs> so it's like it's things like that they, they semantics um are a tool um that are used i think in the regulations to just confuse a lot of the individuals who want to get into the industry and a lot of the entrepreneurs who might innovate and who might actually put canada on the map i would say um they're limited because of the confusion around regulations and when their questions are not answered or they're just dodged it makes you doubt the government a lot um, and I'm surprised to say that, but I've started doubting the government more and more on every webinar I'm attending. Yeah. Um, so it's the more I know, the more I doubt, which I don't like right now. Um, because I used to be very, like, as an academic, you read literature, you summarize your data, you find the data, you make sure the data is good. And now when I'm looking at data, I'm not finding very good data on cannabis. Um, and that's a problem. It's like you went ahead and legalized an entire industry basically but you had very little research done on it 
Um, and like the other day, we got a letter saying we can't use the word salve on our topical after they had approved it six months before. So we were about to release a topical called See the Sky Salve, and we can't have the word salve. So now it's going to be called See the Sky Bomb. I'm like, okay, it's going to be called Bomb. Bomb is more hydrating. Salve yeah. connotates medical effect. So you can't have the word salve. So semantics again. So these are like restrictions on labeling. There's restrictions on literally everything, the size and the color you can choose and where, what can be in your brand element. It's very restrictive for growth and innovation. And if the government's restricting its own entity it's set up for economic growth, why the hell did they legalize it? Oh, exactly. It's, it's one of those ones where it's, we, we got a half a foot in. Yeah. Right. Like we've got, we've got the, okay, we'll let you enjoy. We'll hope you leave it alone. Like yeah. that's, that's, and it seems the more conversations like this I'm having, that's the way the system has been set up where you've got half the people involved that are like, we need to do this properly and we need to make sure everyone's got an equal opportunity. And then the other ones that are, let's just get it done with. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's sad because you're, the, the companies that have the money to work around and, oh, it'll be another three months. They're the companies that aren't putting out the quality. They aren't taking the time to test. They aren't taking the time to really propagate what an individual consumer may be looking for. They're looking to fill as many stores as they can with their product. Well, some of these CEOs also have never tried their own product. Yeah. I met like three of them the past two weeks. I'm like, have you tried your own product? It's like, nope, I'm just the guy who brings in all the money and stuff. I'm like, all right, you should try your own product, bud. Yeah. <laughs> try your own products. Uh, you can't sell something you haven't tried or experienced. That's just uh, it's a bit strange concept to me. Oh, and that's like, even when it comes to like the corporate dispensary side of the market, I look at some of the heads of the of the large companies i'm like how many of you consume regularly let alone consume just consume regularly and that's not every day you're waking baking but if if it's an evening toke or when you're done work for the week you smoke throughout the weekend you're a regular user right like yeah, you, you have a sta- if you have a stash at home and you know what's there you're a regular user yeah. That's really the best way to describe it. Yeah, no. Um, I think, again, it goes back to knowing your product and differentiating it. If you don't know it, you can't differentiate it. It's like, I, I didn't, I wasn't trained in business, but it's simple as a shopper, as a consumer, I can put myself in other people's shoes and be like, oh, what would appeal to me? Um, and I'm a patient too. So I take it for chronic insomnia. Um, a lot of the team members we have here, they have different ailments. Um, it's interesting that team members that have stuck around the longest in the industry all use it personally. The people that come and go through our companies are people who have never tried it or it's very new to them. And they're all very excited to get into the industry, but when they get into it, they see how many layers of stuff they have to like abide by. And it's just like, like 